welcome to Something Different This Way Comes. This season, I'm imagining the kindness economy. And today joining me to, to explore that idea is the wonderful Curtis McCaldrick. Today's conversation is a, is a welcome home. It's an unwinding and an invitation to be yourself. It's a deep breath. Something different this way comes something. Something different. Something different. Something different this way comes something. Something different. Something different. I met Curtis McGoldrick a few a few years ago when we were both on the same committee. We were on the city's um, climate action task force. I'm actually officially still on that task force, although she has moved on. I'm there as a volunteer citizen, and and she's there as a municipal employee. She was when I met her. She was the city's climate adaptation coordinator. Since then, she's changed roles. She worked for the province as their Great Lakes advisor for a few years. And most recently, I saw on LinkedIn that she works for Local Governments for Sustainability Canada. And that sparked my interest. You can imagine why. So we were just backing and forthing. I was like trying to find out more from all that she knows. And, uh, and then we bumped into each other just recently when the city of Thunder Bay hosted a strong towns community information gathering. And after the presentation, I was the first person to pop up with a question, and she was the second. So uh, I asked her if we could chat about imagining this city more sustainable, welcoming, more kind. And she said yes right away. But then we had a heck of a time finding a time that would work. So when we finally found a time that would work, we had to find a place that would work. And she recommended The Habit, if you haven't been. I recommend you check out The Habit. I was so delighted at the suggestion. It's right in the heart of historic Port Arthur, the north end of Thunder Bay, on Red River Road, just where you can, the hill drops down and and you can see the bay spread out before you at the corner of Algoma in a historic old church that's been transformed. It's called the Abbey. And it's run as a not-for-profit place to provide shelter and food for those who need it, a place for community to gather. And the coffee shop, which has a really cool vibe, you know, the high-vaulted ceiling, all the wood, stained glass, and coziness provided by booths made out of old church pews, um, beautiful coffee, like really sexy coffee, and homemade goodies that are to die for, run by mostly volunteers as a bit of a fundraiser for the efforts of, of providing food and shelter, which is also really easy to access, but but also sort of privately out in its own areas. Um, my kids and my family end up at The Habit, it seems, pretty frequently. That's where Ben and Sam play Dungeons and Dragons with their friends of an evening. Sometimes that's where they meet to do homework. Sometimes that's the family gathering place when we all have different bits of business to get done and then we need to have a place to connect before we pile in the car and head home. So that's where this was held, the habit. I highly recommend it.
a taste of the song that this conversation inspired. I'll give you the whole thing after this. So um, while we played, uh, Arno and Sam actually played chess over a few tables over from us. So, Kernis McGoldrick. I'm so delighted to introduce you to her if you haven't met her already and to share this conversation with you. Thanks for having me, Heather. Um, let's start with neighborhood. The neighborhood you live in, if you put on your pragmatic, how could things be different, work more efficiently hat, what comes to mind? I was thinking about that before our conversation. And when I think of neighborhood, I think that's, it's where I go when I go home. And I want it to be relaxing. I'd like it to be calming. I'd like it to feel safe and welcoming and intimate, especially at the neighborhood level. And that's not normally the way we think of streets and neighborhood when we plan or build the city streets. But I would love to imagine what would it be like if planners said, okay, let's create an intimate, cozy, inviting, safe street. And so that when we come home at the end of the day, we're, we automatically get out of that go, go, go mode because we're entering a neighborhood. So in a very practical way, I think that would mean having street designs to slow traffic down, a lot of greenery, a lot of beauty to calm the mind, to bring some mental peace, and then creating also spaces to actually physically slow down and connect with others. So kind of, you know, those traffic calming measures that then create space between houses where cars are not driving so you can have basketball nets or you could stop and chat with your neighbor or you could pull your stroller over and you know catch up with the new parents in the neighborhood so yeah cozy green slow and then ultimately safer because people aren't speeding around I think that would be really lovely I would love to imagine my neighborhood that way and what I love, I have a few thoughts. One is, you know, if we had better active and public transit so that less people had cars and we could free up all that parking space or a lot of it um, so that you could um, have more of that front porch culture, have more of that shared garden space, have um, more of those gathering places that you're mentioning and also less of the untended kind of desert of a grass area you know grass it it just it becomes a a vacuum in my mind in a neighborhood and and as soon as somebody has a space that's not grass there's just more going on there's more density of space and almost more of a living wall and a and a life around you yeah well our neighborhood is actually the buildings are all really really close to the street we don't have grass I love that and there are sidewalks and there are already trees and that makes a huge difference I think when you say grass I'm picturing more of the suburban like the really big homes set away from the street and yes that's not intimate at all so making sure that the buildings are close to the street having sidewalks having the infrastructure and everything yeah it makes a really big difference and also in places where there's more lawn than there needs to be um, the whole idea of infill. So maybe you have a second residence, like these mini houses people talk about um, that would be in, in a backyard or a front yard or, or a gathering space or a little shop. Or There's all these other ways that we can would use space that's currently lawn and, and parking lot spaces. I think it could be tailored to different neighborhoods, um, but to have that same goal of, of this is my oasis, this is my 
extended community, I know the faces around me and I get to see them pretty easily and often. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And different people have different preferences. I think my, if I had a big lawn, I would just plant trees everywhere. I would just plant trees and shrubs and make it more of a natural, natural lawn. I'm sure some people who like gardening would have gardens and other people who have a very strong social life or love to talk might put a little front yard patio and have chairs and maybe some games or a place for kids to play if you have a family. There's so many different ways that we can even just imagine a lawn. Yeah, and also I feel like more hands would make that easier too. Like right now, some too many houses feel like they're just, I have, barely have time to roll in the door and roll out again. But if we had more density and more people around, it's easier to garden. You don't have to be the gardener. You can just have space for the gardener. So one of your questions that I saw that you had sent me for this conversation was about gardening. And I laughed to myself because I so much would love to be the kind of person who gardens and has a nice garden and here, have some of my veggies or I'm going to can, but I don't enjoy it. And I spent years trying to have a garden and I did have a garden, but it was, I was never happy. It was literally a chore. I mean, weeding is a chore, but it was a chore that I didn't look forward to and didn't get much out of. So I came to terms with it. I said, I'm, not, I'm no longer going to garden. I will just pay other people to garden for me. So I have CSAs now. I'm extremely grateful for folks who do. A CSA is a community shared agriculture, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. But I've always thought I have in town, so we don't have a front yard, but we do have a big backyard and it's very fertile ground. I won't have a garden, but what if I opened up my yard to share? What if it became this thing where I did have a garden, but... I didn't have to do all the weeding or all the harvesting, and I didn't have to worry about, you know, food waste, which caused me some anxiety. What if there's a system where people could come and then use my yard to help me have a garden while also having a garden? And yeah, many hands make light of work. I really, really like that. I think that also not as much TV <laughs> makes many hands available. Yeah, and scrolling through whatever screen is your attraction or playing with whatever screen it is. But I love that idea because I, I also, I have a garden and when we can fit it out to do together, you know, so I have somebody else and I'm chatting as I weed or we've got our plan for the garden and we sit down together and we, we, we kind of tweak it and talk about it, then it's fun. When it's just to do by yourself and figure out how many carrots so we don't run out before the next carrot harvest. <sighs> Like, I'd really rather pay somebody to make that their job because it feels like a job. But a lot of things that feel like a job when it's just you having to get it done feel a lot less like a job, just like doing dishes after Thanksgiving dinner. If you're stuck with all those dishes, you kind of hate Thanksgiving. But if it turns into the real party of the night, it's not so bad. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and it's true that gardening and growing food is a job and taking care of community is a job but at the end of the day it's something that we need to value and then take the time to yeah to go out and do or support the people who do it or just go and chat with people as they weed or as they do the dishes or take care of other important things another thing I think about is um is business like just supporting people doing jobs that we need um, how can you imagine that being a little bit more organic or 
or kind in our neighborhoods? Oh, what a good question. I mean, I think this thing that I feel is so common in North America and Canada is just staying at home, putting a lot of emphasis on private life. I mean, I feel like I'm a private person. I, I think I tend more on introvert, but it also does deplete me after a while if I'm just inside. And so this idea of getting recharged by being in community or being supported, the importance of social connection and yeah, supporting people who do really good work. It's just so important. And you know, you need a village not only to raise a kid, but just to live and to do things that are day to day. You know, everyone who does essential services we need and kind of realizing how important their job is, being really grateful for it, and then yeah, maybe maybe supporting them, maybe chatting with someone if we're not wasting their time like I mean what a concept but you know if they have the time and they are inclined then chatting with the person delivering the post or collecting the garbage and recycling and you know taking someone out for a walk there's just so many things that happen that I think I forget about and I take for granted and just taking the time to appreciate that that's all being done I think makes it easier so much easier to be kind and then to realize everything that needs to happen and then be there. Yeah, there were some days early on in the pandemic where we realized who couldn't stay home and we, we valued them, we cherished them, we banged pots and pans and said thank you for doing what absolutely has to get done, even though often those jobs were jobs that are not valued. You know, they're seen as, they're stuck being that person, doing that undervalued job that maybe anybody could do, but not everybody does it. And I think um, we faded away from that, but that doesn't mean it doesn't sit within us, that realization of what's really important and, and permission to, to celebrate not the person with, with money and possessions, but the person with commitment and professionalism and a willingness to take on the, the essential jobs. That makes me think of something I learned recently. It was around the 9-11 memorial site in New York City. Um, And my brother was living in New York City, so I went and visited him. And I was listening to podcasts and reading and trying to get acquainted with different sides of New York. And one of the things that struck me as incredible and just also quite tragic was that after... 9-11, all the cops and the firefighters who responded were celebrated as heroes. And I'm not saying that what they did wasn't heroic, but there have actually been more deaths by sanitation workers than by cops and firefighters. So the sanitation workers of New York who went and did the long-term cleanup to do everything after that initial emergency, the initial impact, they ended up having more losses and long-term, you know, diseases that came out of that than anyone. And they're not on any memorials. They aren't in the airport and they're not celebrated. And here are the sanitation workers doing the essential, essential work day in and day out. And I feel like it's this disconnection sometimes. We forget, you know, whether it's a sanitation worker or a farmer or even just the work that nature does, that 
the environment does. We kind of forget how important it is. And also the, I don't know what word to say, maybe like the consequences that they have to bear because of the work that they do and because of our disconnection from that work. Um, and it's just so important to remember, to take the time to slow down, to think about what is all happening here. And then, and then there can be kindness and maybe just more connection and gratitude and, you know, maybe be more deliberate in our decisions and the way we decide to interact with things, knowing or remembering. And I love the, again, off the screen, outside, in the world you're in idea of of rooting into the nature that we're a part of. It's really hard to do better at managing the planet as a planet when most of your times and your days are spent in the abstract, not rooted in it, not paying attention to the air you breathe and the sun that's turning into energy right in front of you in that green leaf and all the other miracle of this system that we are a part of and have become such a powerful part of, um, we need to honor that responsibility and also cherish that miracle. It is a miracle. I always think I eat a lot of eggs. And every time I crack an egg, I think, what a miracle. I get to eat another egg. How crazy is this? It's just they happen every day. There's a new egg, and I get to eat it, and I love it. I mean, an egg is a funny thing. An apple is also a miracle, and there's so many other things. But I, I think it's the slowing down, the stopping the busyness. And as someone who works full-time, I'm in, you know, the, quote, prime of my working part of my life I suppose we'll see um but it's just so fast-paced all the time it's just one thing after another one priority after another you know when are we going to do this and then it's just this thing that's constantly going and as someone with a home it's the same thing I kind of get home and it's one thing after another and I really love the idea of imagining what the community would be like if we actually encourage ourselves to slow down. So instead of trying to drive really fast to get home so that I can get inside and quickly make dinner and do whatever else, what if we created the street so that we encouraged that slowing down, the transition and the time, and also maybe moving between one destination and another, grocery store and home, or if you commute to work or go drop off the kids, if even in those transition we had a bit of a breather like I really think that a lot can come from slowing down connecting looking around and then realizing okay this is happening right now how can I be present how can I you know show up in a way that serves me and then whoever's around me how can I be kind or you know actually participate in a way and all all of those things so yeah, just back to that initial question. Let's make streets, let's make our cities a breath. Let's make them a deep breath. I love that. I have a totally different thought now. So the thought I have now is about um, efficiency, of not wasting, and of sharing what we know to make the homes that we all have, the spaces we all work in, be blessed with an upfront gift of 
insulation or solar power or heat pumps or, you know, better uh, electrical efficiency systems, whatever the heck it needs, so we can be at ease in that home and be confident that it's wasting nothing. Like, whatever we give it will be made the most of, and it's really affordable for the future to live in that home. So I see house poor a lot, right? You walk around the street, drive around the streets, and you see the houses with the icicles, and you see the houses with the paint job needed, and the front porch needs repair. And what if we all just gifted each other like a community giant barn raising so everybody's home and building an office was as technologically efficient as we could make it what a difference would that make in everyone's life yeah and green and healthy too like not full of paints that might poison you and other things that we know aren't good anymore but they're expensive to fix what if we could just gift that to each other that would be amazing wouldn't that be incredible just helping each other out really going above and beyond what is considered being a neighbor and and maybe it's maybe it's not kind of fixing the whole house, but saying, "Hey, I'm painting my house." You know, do you want to paint your house at the same time if that's within your means? Back to the CSA, the Community Supported Agriculture. Um, one thing that the farmers that I buy from, Brendan Marcel, I'm sure you know them. I'm sure a lot of people know them. What they've started doing, and I really, really love, is they have when you buy the CSA, it's just an optional add-on of do you want to support a share and it's this thing where because it's a one-time purchase I think it's a lot easier to say sure I'll support a share and I haven't always been in a position where it felt like I could do that but when I do it's just quite easy and why not ask can I support this? Can, is it within my means right now? Is it something that I can do? Maybe it's just some, a question that we need to ask ourselves more. Can I give this to someone, this thing that I really value? You know, it'll be different for everyone, but what a good question. Now, okay, now I'm going to change direction again um, and, and pick your professional brain a little bit more. I know you have insight into you know, precedents and trends and capacity that I don't have, but what can you imagine in Thunder Bay that you might have seen other places that are tied to water movement? Is there anything connected? Because I think of this, it's an oikumen, right? It's where, where waters meet, where there's a natural ridge to hold us in our own little climate and, and fertile soil that's, that's different from what's just at the edge of town. It's a really precious little pocket of, of diversity in life um, that water moves through and we have managed the water in different ways over the last 150 years, not all of which are smart, some of which need to change. And others just need an upgrade, like they're overdue for an output. And, and a lot of that invisible to us, like we don't even pay attention to how we're living in the middle of a delta in a way. But anyway, so that's me, not knowing enough, but wanting to know what comes to your mind, who knows things I don't know. So many things about water. And again, back to if we slow down and connect and remember, I'm crossing a river right now. You know, how many times do we drive on the highway just north of town and we go over McVicker Creek without even realizing it? Just remembering that there is water beneath us. There is water all around us. And what's the invitation? It's just kind of the remembering, okay, I am part of this bigger system 
how can I show up in it? But for water, one thing, another funny anecdote that I think is fascinating, Water Street in Thunder Bay used to be the water's edge, which is, it kind of curves, and it used to be the water's edge. The train tracks that are on the other side, kind of towards the lake from Water Street, used to be a causeway. They were built into the water. It used to be a big wetland, and Water Street was the water's edge, and then everything else was just water, and then we started infilling it with train tracks and train yards, and now it's grown. It's, it's something that when I found out, I was like, wow, a fascinating, fascinating. And also, okay, we took a big, big wetland away from Lake Superior. So there's work to do. And also we better protect the wetlands that are left. Um, but remembering that we have this long history with water, like you said, and we're at a point right now where I know that here in Thunder Bay, we're so incredibly lucky with the water that we have. So I think your question was, imagine something about how we interact with water. Are there are there are there changes that we could consider that might be a beautiful fit for our particular spot on the planet that you know of and I might not have heard of? Yeah. Okay, so the one change is stormwater management, just low-impact development, and that's encouraging the water to stay a little bit longer when it falls so that it can infiltrate, it can filter out pollutants, sediments, things like that before it goes into the waterway. And the city of Thunder Bay has a stormwater management plan now that is being implemented. And I was really involved in getting that off the ground initially, initially, when I was a youthful, (laughs) um, almost out of university student. But that was really fun. There's a lot of great work being done there and we just need a lot more, less impermeable surfaces, more permeable surfaces. That is a very technical and simple solution that we should be implementing everywhere. But then also on a non-technical side, I love hiking around Lake Superior and I also go sailing. One of my favorite things to do is if I'm hiking and I'm away from, let's say industry or sewage outputs, although they're very clean, um, is to go for a swim at the end of the day and dive down and drink the water just drink as I swim and sometimes I'll even open my eyes and just see how beautiful Lake Superior is or often when we're hiking if there's like a big rock I'll just fill my water bottle right out of the lake that's incredible and it's something that I think everyone should do so I think if we all had the experience of feeling touching smelling and tasting the water and realized how amazing it is how sweet and precious it is I think we would all care a lot more about what goes into Lake Superior and even our lakes and our rivers everything is so clean and kind of magical up here I think that we just need to remember how precious that is I would not fill up my water bottle in Lake Ontario for example but here it's this thing so I think that again just remembering and connecting to the water and then taking practical steps to to make sure that you know the insight that we get from that connection we can actually honor and we do things because of it so we've talked about a lot of of things that could happen if lots of people decide to make them happen and things that could happen just because we decide to change how we think about and what we choose to do with our days and how we focus what we do with our days well what's a bridge for you when you imagine 
cultural changes or how do we get to um, making more things happen quickly that would get us to a kinder place here in Thunder Bay? What, what kind of things come to your mind? What can you imagine? Oh, such a good question. Um, so I stepped away from working in sustainability for about 10 years and I've recently stepped back into it and it shocked me a little bit to see that not much has changed over 10 years. 10 years is not insignificant. We're talking about we should have hit certain greenhouse gas emission reduction targets. We should be implementing certain actions at a certain pace, but the reality is nothing much has changed. So I've been asking myself, why is that? And kind of to your question, what's the bridge? And right now I'm thinking that it's the way that we interact with each other at work and the conversations that we're willing to have the uncomfortable conversations that we're willing to have, the difficult decisions that we need to make. And I really think that the bridge is imagining where we need to go and then being willing to do some of the work to get there and especially in those conversations. And right now I'm all about difficult conversations and just getting used to them. Like if we need to change, and we need to make a bridge, the bridge doesn't have to be this huge jump that we need to do as a a whole society at once. It can start with just making a little jump personally every day and then increasing how big that jump is. But I think having conversations with folks, having these respectful dialogues that aren't necessarily in agreement, like these difficult conversations that are really, really necessary and being willing to be on the bridge we can't teleport from one side to another maybe we can but I think the bridge might be uncomfortable but that's also beautiful so I'm really on the I'm really on the it has to happen individually we have to be okay with that and then we have to bring that to work where bigger decisions are made especially if we work in government policy and or even for a big organization or a small company whatever it is if we make decisions for things that will be around for a while well last week in last week's episode i talked about the pushback you know and and how hard it can be if you're not prepared for it if you're giving a a very well reasoned perfectly doable and feasible and logical progression recommendation and you get pushback and the pushback doesn't even necessarily make any sense but it's it's emotional right and part of it is what do you mean you want me to change are you trying to say that everything I've done until now was wrong that kind of you know loyalty to habit and some of it is is pure like but I'm kind of scared right like I haven't done that before I don't know that I can't envision it perfectly. It's very human and emotional, and it's not about the words you say, but if you, if you are the person prepared for the pushback and kind to the pushback, then you can sometimes just let it wash through and help the person get past it. And if instead you get really emotional, it can become more of a wall and less of a bridge. And it's not to say that like every time there's a pushback, you need to move through it. But it can be just noticing, oh, that's interesting. 
now that I think about it, that was a strong emotional response on my behalf or maybe oh that's interesting I think that person might have been having a strong emotional response I wonder what I could do next time and just being curious I wonder what I could do next time and it doesn't have to be perfect right it's a little step at a time whenever emotions come into play it's a little red flag like okay there's something going on here don't need to address it right now but let's figure out how to move beyond it or around it or not let it get in the way of a really good conversation or a really important change and then of course dealing with that pushback will vary for people I mean well sometimes the pushback is just turning into a condemnation instead of a conversation right where everybody just starts saying well that'll never happen or they'll diss somebody and you have to be the one who says "Mm -mm." let's go back to what we want to do though Right? And have the courage to continue to propose change, even when people around you would rather just give up at the moment. They're feeling too tired or, or too, um, too worn down. And that's also valid. I think you can say, okay, let's talk about it later. It sounds like this isn't going anywhere. When can we continue this conversation? Like, that's a really good one. Or sometimes it's also just just acknowledging that okay we're not going in the right direction like where's our common ground can we get back to this taking a step back often is good to take a step forward but it's not stepping away if you get to a wall it's figuring out what are we going to do with this wall here are we going to climb it are we going to break it and then also who's the best person to bring like who else needs to bring to this wall and whose responsibility is it I think one thing that is just coming into mind right now that needs, I I feel like saying, is that we need to be mindful not to put the burden of that work on certain people or let certain people, you know, get away with being the wall all the time. And, And that's kind of a whole other conversation, but there's a lot of biases sometimes that go into like who pushes back on what and then just being aware of that. And I don't have a solution for that, but well, it does make me think of company. Like when you have your when you have your uh, allies, when you have confidence that you're not alone in your conclusions, you know, where you have um, a community of change uh, supporters that aren't just virtual, like they're friends. I think that also makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, social connection is so important. One of the things that I think as a human, I know myself, um, I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be left alone. And I also, I want to feel like I belong and I'm seen. And sometimes it's hard when there's really strong pushback to the instinct is, oh, am I being rejected? Am I going to be safe if I don't do this thing that everyone's saying I should do? But hey, there's a lot of people, (laughs) there's a lot of different opinions, so finding folks that you can share the experience with and still feel a sense of belonging to is certainly really, really important. And it gets me back to your vision right off the hop of a neighborhood that you feel that you can relax into, you know, that you're safe, you're known, you don't want to rush in the door, you just want to savor the chance to, to see that familiar face and notice what's happening in that precious spot that you've been observing all seasons round. And getting to know, it's kind of the investing in place that makes me jump back to sort of your 
your comment about investing into a house for the long term in the same way we can invest in our neighborhoods kind of our streets by planting trees and but then we can also invest in our social connection by having conversations by showing up and talking to people and then also investing in those hard conversations that if you can do it will actually bring you much closer than pretending everything's fine and staying at a very level surface so I don't think it's always agreeing with everyone but it's the investment of okay this is difficult it's uncomfortable and I'm gonna do it and I think that that can just have so many so many implications that will ultimately I really think help make the world a better place and help deal with all these wickedly complex issues because kindness is a commitment you know kindness is a saying we're in this I'm not going to lose you because of a disagreement, right? Kindness is a commitment, and it's a, a respect for one another. That um, unkindness, when you fear unkindness, that's what you fear, is that you could lose a person's respect like that. You could lose a connection like that. Um, but kindness is a commitment, and the more that you test it and find that it's true, it can hold your weight. Um, the more you can get done, for goodness sakes, you can dare and you can try and you can fail and you can learn and all of that's real relationship building. And one thing too is it took me a while to realize this is kindness is not politeness. It's very different. Sometimes it is, but oftentimes it's not. And so kind of getting to the, what I think when I think of kindness, which is being really clear and genuine and authentic and sometimes you know, stepping away, sometimes giving space, but it's just really being, again, attuned to what's going on within you, around you, and then figuring out, okay, how can I show up here? What's the right thing to do to be kind to myself and to others, to the environment, to future generations, to everything? Because we want to be, you want to be a good person, you know, and, and that takes work. It takes showing up and daring to say I think this might be a solution what do you think can you help me find a good solution here because I don't want to try to solve this all by myself and and all of those really courageous conversations yeah and I I'm immediately thinking I feel like good person is also a funny one where because it's like, what is a good person? Is it a polite person? Or is it someone who just shows up really authentically and with, you know, intention and presence and, you know, curiosity, a healthy curiosity, and then is willing to, like you said, try and fail and learn and keep trying. But, yeah, like, how, how can we do that not only, you know, within our immediate families. I feel like that's often where people tend to work on these things, but how can we do it at work? And how can we do it when we're walking down the street? Like, how can we really slow down and show up? I love it. Are there any things that are like, so you go to this conference that you talked about on LinkedIn, and I'm like, should this be something I go to? It's like imagining cities because that's what I'm sitting around doing is imagining my city differently. And you were so kind. You're like, you should totally come. You'd love it. It's really fun. But what are cities doing that Thunder Bay might be inspired by out in the broad, broad world? 
Uh, okay, the first thing that comes to mind for me is I heard in Europe, I forget which country, one a country in Europe is working on the homelessness crisis and trying to figure out how can we build more homes that are affordable, that are sustainable, that will not set us back on our greenhouse gas emission reductions, that are resilient, that aren't just going to flood and break down or not last very long. And so they're working through that, but in a very, it must be, I think it was in Denmark, but I'm not fact-checking that and might be wrong. Um, but they had their sets of parameters and it included being beautiful. And I thought that was so fun and refreshing because in Canada, a lot of communities are also having those conversations. Um, I'm sure there are people in Thunder Bay also having these conversations. It's a really important issue. But to bring in beauty into that, I thought was so different than the conversations I've heard in Canada. And it just made me imagine how can we imagine solving solutions where we're not trying to be so pragmatic and we can bring in more? And what will beauty bring? I don't know. Maybe it will bring a lot more than we think. Maybe it's not just making something look nice. Maybe it's bringing in you know, a sense of hope or peace. Or I really love beautiful things. I have a have a soft spot for them and it makes me feel so much more calm and happy anyway I loved that little bit and maybe it's not beauty but just bringing in some unexpected elements into the regular conversations I find really really refreshing so that was an example well what I love about beauty is it's a sign of respect I cherish you you're as valuable as anybody else here is a place to give you your basic necessary needs. And one of those is know that you're loved, know that you're valued. And beauty says all that. You know, if you, if, and in fact, making it beautiful might usually makes it more proportionate or more thought out or, and all these things that could make it more durable and valuable in other ways, a better, a better investment, right? Well, yeah, people tend to take care of things that they like. And people tend to like things that are beautiful. So there's a lot of a lot of things that we often don't think about that we could think about. So that's one. Another one that comes to mind with again these kind of unexpected ways of approaching certain issues that a lot of communities face. Um, this one was building resilience in the community of Beaconsfield, and the city right now is doing something to increase social connection. So they have a number of initiatives to increase social connection. And the idea, which is supported by research and a lot of case studies, is that when you increase social connection, you increase resilience. And you increase so many other things as well. It's one of those magic actions that you can take that have so many benefits. I feel like it's those little ingredients that beauty. Oh, I didn't think about that. I wonder, I wonder what that could be. Or, yeah, social connection. So just encouraging clubs and organizations, making sure that people can meet one another in a neighborhood, in a community, and all of a sudden, you know, you're checking in on someone if there's a power outage or if, if you're affected by a flood, you know where you could go for safety. But, yeah, the social connection I find quite nice as well. I uh, read The New Yorker, 
and they have a ad that shows up twice in every magazine and it's a weekly new magazine so I see this ad all the time and it's fundraising for an organization in New York City uh, that is trying to address social isolation and it says um, social isolation is as hard on your health as 15 cigarettes a day I mean I swear I read that all the time <laughs> so as soon as you said and I think of towns like um, like Red Rock or Marathon that were built with all of these gathering places and all of these resources by the industry that sprouted them up and how much people talk about what a difference that made like that was where their life was built was on those shuffleboards and bowling leagues and gyms and pools and you know fishing clubs or whatever the heck it was and in the city of Thunder Bay we have lots of community centers that are empty they're very little used um, there's the the infrastructure's there so what's the juice to get people back together again yeah what's the juice and I think the answer to that question is in the community itself like this whole idea of build it and they will come is quite outdated I think it's pretty funny it works to some extent in very specific circumstances but normally you should ask what what would be useful what would be useful to build and then they will come (laughs) you know but if you just build whatever you dream up whatever I dream up or whoever dreams up in a boardroom or you know at a computer is not actually what's needed in the community and so kind of going to the community figuring out what does beauty mean to you is it actually important is there something else you know what if you built houses with I don't know fun or honesty or I don't even know like pets (laughs) as one of the important parameters and I think it's just Thinking outside of the box that we've been in is really important because we're stuck in this situation because of all the boxes we've been checking off. Yeah. And, and creating spaces where people can have conversations and dare to, you know, imagine and then kick around these imagined ideas until you find one that sticks and you feel like I can get behind that I think I want to be part of whatever that transformation is that's been that's been imagined together not imposed in any way not some expert insight that that solves it for you but maybe an expert uh, instigator that gets you imagining and then leaves you to it I love that expert instigator (laughs) might also be known as a facilitator (laughs) But I think that's really important and maybe something else that could be done in Thunder Bay. So a lot of communities now are saying we need to do community engagement and consultation differently. And, you know, Thunder Bay does have the have your say section of their website, which is so important. And I make sure I do it. I have the time to do it. I have a computer. I have the Internet. I am literate enough in the world of municipal policies and plans to actually read the things and provide comments, but that's rare. I don't think a lot of people do that. Um, And, yeah, just kind of challenging administrations to think beyond, again, the regular check boxes and boxes to reimagine what consultation looks like, what engagement looks like, and then really valuing the outcomes that come out of that one of the projects that I was a part of at work recently had to do with a number of municipalities. We were working with 11 different municipalities across Canada on 
climate resilience projects. And one of the components of the project had to be, it had to come from the community. There, need, there needed to be a certain level of community engagement. And a lot of municipalities, well, tried all sorts of different approaches. And that's also something that's really valid. There is no one way. You kind of have to figure out what will work for a specific project or a specific circumstance. Anyway, these projects across the board though, one of the lessons learned was, wow, we got so much value out of the consultation we did. And it wasn't always consultation with members of the public. Often it was with nonprofits who work with members of the public or you know, community organizations, groups, clubs. But getting that feedback from the community actually really helped make impactful projects that had real outcomes for the community at the end instead of just thinking of these ideas and hoping hoping that they will come when you build them so I think just thinking beyond the box and how we engage and also but that requires valuing input that may be very different from what's the what's the norm so reimagining maybe even the questions that we're asking or when do we ask the questions who are we talking to and you know, how much value does that have? And are we willing to pay people to facilitate these conversations? Because they're best done in person. Well, yes. And are we willing to pay to make sure that people can be part of those conversations, whether that's childcare or transportation, honorariums? There's a lot of barriers to having certain people participate in those conversations, and it's really important to address. If you want it to actually work, Right? And if instead you just think, well, app, how sexy. That'll be perfect. People can do it on their phones. Who can do it? When will they do it? How will they find out about it? There's all these invisible barricades, whereas there's only 120,000 people in the whole damn city. That is not hard to connect to personally. You meet anybody in Thunder Bay, and you will find out that you have somebody in common. Like, there's not a lot of degrees of separation here. It shouldn't, those barriers are, are they're, they're bling. They're not meat. Yeah, yeah. And... What do people gather around? I'll tell you what. Fishing in the rivers right now? <laughs> like if you ever wanted to talk to a group of anglers, you should just go walk along every river in the city and you will meet everyone you need to. Or sometimes it's Ribfest or Bruja or Wake the Giant or all the different festivals. Or maybe it's the Potter's Guild. There's a lot of events that bring a lot of different folks out. I think it's fascinating and yeah, how can we meet people where they already are? And those are people that do come out. And then of course, there's a lot of folks that you have to go to or kind of engage in a different way. But engaging the people that we're trying to build the city for is really important. And I think that's becoming very, very, very clear. And so it would be great, be great to do that. And I'm saying this, I'm sure some people are already doing that. I think we should encourage them. And then also, if we're not doing it, we should imagine what would it look like? What would it need? And how could we do it? And if you get approached by somebody who's trying to gather information at RibFest, go, wow, yes, I'm so glad you're here. Because I I can do this. I can make time for this. This is important. Um, Although one of my pet peeves is who do you choose to send? Again, I want skilled facilitators. Right? When you have somebody create a questionnaire that is too closed-ended, 
you know it's scale rank this and yes no that and you know it's not very open-ended so it's really going to frame narrowly what responses you get and then you send a human being out to get people to tick boxes and answer those narrow questions you're not doing much better than the one online like skill facilitation is listening It's listening, it's open-ended questions, it's going out knowing what topic you want to explore, but not knowing what answers to expect. Kind of having conversations, or the art of conversation, Mm -hmm. and one of those things is not knowing what you want to say right away. Truly, truly listening and being open-minded and curious, yeah, and actually being there with the person instead of just being there with the questionnaire. (laughs) So whatever we think of and imagine, you can always imagine even better and get this a little smoother and build on it. But I do think the power of, of being willing to be, I call it good, but messy, you know, like what a kind solution is that's respectful, that's open-minded is not going to be very predictable. It might not be very closely controlled it's going to be um, a little MacGyvered sometimes. Like, we could do that, but why not just do this? Yeah. That works, right? And it could be very economic. And that's another thing I want to talk to you about before we go. Because we just were just kicking around before I turned the microphone on, or more accurately, before Arno came galloping to the rescue with the microphone I forgot to pack. Um, economy, the word economy. So the word economy when I was a kid the way I first learned it was you'd have a wish list, what we call the grocery list, and you would have a budget that was not able to pay for everything on the wish list. So we would practice home economics and sit down and decide what we would buy and what we would not buy and what we'd have to live with not being able to afford. So for economy, for me, as somebody who works as a financial planner, actually has this really rooted and pragmatic, you can't do everything, babe sense of the world that is very empowering because if you can do what you need to do as long as your budget stretches to the essentials it's okay it's okay that you can't do everything but that's not the messaging of our world right now right the message of the world is not about balance and and the power of of setting your own limits to reflect your values and and your goals it's got this kind of magical thinking going on that you can't talk about money it's always going to match and I feel we were saying the same thing feels true about the climate crisis like as long as we all agree that it's important somehow it'll magically solve itself but we do need to get down here and make some hard choices this and not that right now and it'll feel good yeah I mean like the truth is we live in the system and so how can we make changes within it and yeah we need to say no to some things if we're going to say yes to other things that's sort of the way a system works and I think part of that going back to your bridge is that's part of the bridge is knowing exactly okay saying yes to this means saying no to that okay we don't agree let's have a conversation let's have a hard conversation let's be in respectful dialogue and figure out exactly where we want to go from here and let's have those conversations with the people that are going to be affected kind of back to that you know engagement and having real conversations with the folks in our communities and and also with each other but if we want to have it all that would be wonderful i'm holding that possibility and also practically speaking it's just you know you can't have all the roads that we have in thunder bay and keep them maintained 
that is just not that's a very practical example if we want to have maintained roads we cannot have as many roads we need to start reducing the number of roads or maybe we can't drive as much we need to figure out okay you know maybe we don't drive or maybe we don't have as many parking spots maybe we do we take a page out of montreal's book and we just deal with a horrendous street parking situation that somehow works (laughs) but yeah i think it's really really important to say here's here are our values and maybe that's part of the conversation as well just that we have these unnamed values money time productivity that we've all kind of agreed to in default because we live in this world and in this system but are those the values that we want to use to make the decisions to choose the yes and no to choose you know yeah yes to more more cars no to greenhouse gas emission reductions it's i think it's a bigger conversation and a smaller one too yeah exactly it's a big conversation but it needs to happen individually and then with our families and our friends and our neighbors and staying open-minded because our values aren't all gonna mesh but where's the common ground where can we kind of come back to because it's amazing how far we can drift from our values when we don't let ourselves say no oh yeah yeah boundaries (laughs) it's a whole thing but Also, I I think for me and I think for a lot of people, there's a lot of work on boundaries. As you grow older, you realize, okay, I I need better boundaries or maybe as you grow younger as well. But but all this stuff that's really personal development and might be something that you talk about with your very close friends or maybe you talk about with your therapist or your spouse, your partner, whoever – I really think we need to have those conversations at work too, or we need to bring the same sort of approach at work, in our civic lives, in, in the broader conversation, because we're all in relationship with each other. Like, it's not just a family thing. Like, you're in relationship with coworkers, government, everyone's in a relationship, so we need to have the same sort of, I think, human-centered approach. I love that, because one of my pet peeves is uh, how many people feel they can't talk about politics, for instance, because of their professional, right? So I was talking to a a friend who was a doctor, and he's not allowed to have a Facebook page because of his connection to whatever his professional stuff is. And in my work in financial planning, we have to sign all these things all the time to swear that we'll never influence people because by what we do publicly or whatever. there's been this permission to, to, to treat people as if we had sold our civic selves by the professional role we took on. And um, I think we need to push back against that and say, uh, let's be reasonable here. I can, I can still have an opinion. I can still have a volunteer job. I can still have community that I'm connected to I'm not just this little isolated professional role that nobody can have any other connection to outside of my professional hat yeah certainly we're all very complex beings um when you say that those parameters because I worked in in jobs where that was the case for a while and 
of course I think I'm right. <laughs> so of course I think, oh, I should be able to do everything. And sometimes I have to check myself that I might not be right. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard for me to admit. But I might not be right. Or some things that some people think are right and they should be able to do, I don't agree with. And so that's a tricky dance. And there needs to be room for conversations that are tricky. And I don't think kind of restricting and, and making rules is the way to go. Sometimes it can be helpful. It can be kind of a helpful step towards a certain path, perhaps. But yeah, whenever you start really restricting things, that's another red flag for me, kind of what's going on, who's making the rules, have we all agreed to this? And you know, can we talk about it before we just all agree that this is where we're going? Yeah, because I think that's part of kindness, too, is saying just because you're really good at that doesn't mean that you're not going to make mistakes, and that's okay. You know, we can deal with you making mistakes and having disagreements, and it's not the end of the world. You haven't suddenly lost all credibility and and your place in our community. Um, And I feel like there's a sense of cliffs that we could turn into slopes that you can, you know move up and down on and not be so at risk of devastating loss. Like, I was listening to you and I was talked last episode about this idea of, of dignity versus honor, right? So if, if, you're, if honor is everything and if you lose honor, you've lost everything, it's a very dangerous world. Like, lots of things could be considered you were found wrong, you were, you know, that you've been, you've lost everything. But if all that we share is a common agreement that we, that, we, that we have dignity, that we are treated with dignity, we respect one another, there's so much more give and take there that you can learn and share and within and not fear losing everything. There's, there's not an everything to lose, it's everything to learn. Yeah, what I hear there is just like moving away from all or nothing thinking or black and white thinking and making room for humanity and our mistakes and our learning and our continual journey. And then one of the, one thing that I tell myself, I forget who said it, it was some brilliant author, (laughs) I think. Um, But it's just life is mystery. And it's just such a nice reminder. We don't know. We just don't know. And we need to give ourselves grace. Even when we think we know, we may really not know. When we think we know, we probably definitely don't know. (laughs) And just staying really curious and open-minded. And yeah, I feel like just coming back to our shared humanity, just coming back to that connection and being willing being willing to go there to connect and then yeah having some beautiful beautiful conversations and moments and some really really hard ones too but it's just so important thank you Curtis. this was beautiful thanks heather it was really lovely too i hope all the sounds of the coffee shop <laughs> were okay in the end I do feel like there was a remarkable number of cups that needed washing, considering how few of us are in this room, but it was good. We came right at dish doing time, which maybe we should have gone and helped. Then <laughs> we'd be more connected. Let me help you with that. I'm at Kernis McGoldrick at The Habit, 
in Thunder Bay. I loved that conversation. That was, that was a breath. And here's the song it inspired.
breathe or breath for Curtis McGoldrick and that that great conversation I was prepared for Curtis with her with her work in sustainable cities and working with different municipalities and inspired by work around the world in cities to be more tactile you know more things I can see in front of me in her imagining I had in mind something like what sprung to Sam's mind when we first started this quest to imagine a kinder economy, a, a difference we welcome here in Thunder Bay. You know, like solar panels and wind and alternate energy storage and, oh, I don't know, gardens and green spaces and cafes and community centers and services. And instead she brought it home. She surprised me, but in a good way, asking us to to slow down and show up, to own the spaces we have, the permission we have, the power we have to ask for change, to, to continue on despite how hard conversations can be, to support what we know is needed and welcome, to add our voices. So amazing. I'm Heather McLeod, and I thank you for joining me in this conversation. I thank Kernis McGoldrick for being my guest. I invite you to visit www.somethingdifferentthiswaycomes.ca to see some of the things referenced in that conversation. I will put links. There's a whole library of hope you can check out. There's also a link to the GoFundMe page through which I get all sponsorship that helps pay for my time and work in doing this podcast and the various programs and expenses it incurs in order to bring it to you. I thank everyone who sponsors this program as listeners, and I would love to include you on that list of supporters. But if you can't afford, you know, the the price of a, a coffee and a cookie once a month to help this train keep on trucking or clickety-clacking, I guess. <laughs> That's okay. Somebody else will. And if they don't, I will pony up because it is such a blessing to be able to share my thoughts and ideas with you in this podcast. I'm really grateful to be heard. And I hope you come back and listen back if you missed any episodes. I'll be back next week. Something.